Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us on this lovely December Monday. I'm especially excited because joining us in the studio today, it's Matt Hughes. And down the line from his little hamlet in Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. Later on, we'll be looking at the end of Arsenal's unbeaten run and analyzing the draw for the last 16 of the Champions League. But we start at Anfield, where Liverpool's unbeaten start to the season in the Premier League continued. A late double from substitute Jordan Shakiri steered Liverpool to a 3-1 win over Manchester United and took them back to the top of the table. Now, Ollie, you were there. Uh, Liverpool are now 19 points clear of United. Was that gap reflected in what you saw? Um, yeah, I suppose it, it was really because it, it, Liverpool looked like a, a a top team, and United looked like a sort of bland, mediocre middle of the mid-table team. And I mean, Roy Keane made the point afterwards on Sky, saying, um, you know, if you came down to the moon, I'm never sure how that works, but um, but if you didn't know better, you would think that this is just an average Premier League team, and that that is exactly what. United have looked like this season in terms of the way they play, the, in terms of the results. Um, it's, I mean, uh, uh, are they are they somehow in sixth position by default? But they, but they they look way off. They they look really a really average team playing sort of really average um, sort of clinging on, hope for the best uh, football. And it's 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 you know, I, I would say they they can competed at least yesterday which hasn't always been the case but if you didn't know who it was if, if, if all the names of the, you know if the shirt was was not distinguishable and if the players weren't distinguishable you say who's this team playing this way you'd, you'd say oh it, it might be Sean Dyches Burnley or Neil Warnock's Cardiff and I'm not you know, I'm not particularly damning those teams I'm just um, saying that it looked like nothing better than a, than a bunch of triers which when you look at the money United have spent is, is pretty pathetic really because we're the media and we always focus on negatives rather than positives I know we're going to get sucked into a long United Mourinho conversation so maybe we, we should celebrate some Liverpool first mm-hmm. Husey I was struck by the fact that and this is something maybe we, we sort of obsess about excessively in Italy that when you have a big game and it's so mentally draining and so on it's really hard to come back from it 
three days later. Now, obviously, Liverpool had a huge Champions League game against Napoli for all the stakes. They won 1-0, and they managed to bounce back with that same level of intensity and effort, especially in the, in, in the first half, four days later. Is that something worth notice, or are you more of the school of thought that says, well, but it's momentum, and actually it, it, it's easier to bounce back when you've got two big games in a row? Uh, it can be. It's credit to the to the manager and the players, isn't it? I mean, Liverpool have had a huge two weeks, really, haven't they? Because every sort of Champions League the game they've been playing has been knockout, and they've obviously had the, the Merseyside derby, which started off uh, a run of what five games in in, in just over two weeks. So um, they've probably been preparing for this run for a while, and they managed to come through it. The fascination now will be whether they can sustain it, because there's no let up through Christmas into the, the big city game at the start of the start of next year. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll think he will obviously have to make changes and we'll learn about the depth of their squad. My man Omar Chowdhury, who, who's like an analytics type, he tweeted something this morning which I thought was kind of interesting. Liverpool obviously top. They're projected to finish with like 94 points or something like that at their current, um, at their current pace. But if you look at the betting markets... and the betting markets are what they are, but they are an indication of what people who bet on football for a living actually think. And so therefore, you know, it is kind of grounded in reality. They have them finishing something like nine points behind City. Does that make sense to you, Ollie? Nine points sounds like a, a lot when you're, when you're looking at a team who's, who are, are performing at that rate, right? accumulating points at that rate, and you think how... Well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, five points, five points behind City. Five points. Well, yes. I mean, that, that, that doesn't sound too unreasonable. I'd say most people would still regard City as favourites, but I think a lot of the belief in City is, is, is that they are... I mean, they, they don't play like a machine. They play like something that's far more wonderful and beautiful than a machine. But there is that sort of machine-like quality about City where you know they can they can just keep winning and keep winning and keep, keep winning. And I, I, I think it's natural to say, well, have Liverpool got the same staying power? They appear to at the moment, but even though we, we talk about the, the really fantastic run that they've had um, in terms of those last... Um, I think it's seven wins out of the last eight, and, and, and the, the one the one they didn't win was a, in Paris in the Champions League, where, where you know, they were able to recover from. If you look at the next few games, it's Wolves away, Newcastle at home, Arsenal at home, Man City away, Wolves away in the FA Cup. It's another really tough five-game block. And if they get through that, and, and they're still looking down on City, I think I expect those odds to, to, to change a little, because, because Liverpool have got a really good run of fixtures after that, you know, before the Champions League starts again. So they, they, they do have the opportunity, if they can get through this next block of really tough games, to build up a lead. And the way they're doing it is so impressive. And, and you know, r- rising to big occasions, producing big performances we, we, you know, twice a week. Um, I don't think in some quarters... Klopp gets enough credit, and I know there'll be people who say Klopp gets far too much credit for somebody who never wins, who hasn't won a, a trophy with Liverpool. But I, I still think the work he has done with this squad is absolutely top class, and um, the way they're going, the you know, they're the where they deserve to be. Really, should we talk Jose? Can I introduce Jose with a with a quote? Go ahead. All right. This is this is something he said afterwards. These aren't excuses. This is an explanation. Now let, let's let's. Bear in mind that one man's explanation is another man's excuse, but this is what he says, and then I'd like to get your assessment. 
He's asked about the problems, and he says, we have lots of problems related with physicality. We have lots of players that I would consider injury-prone because some of our players, they're always injured, and it's not with me. Uh, he says that these were players who were who were signed before he arrived. They were signed by Mr. Van Gaal and by David, presumably David Moyes. I don't know why Van Gaal gets a mister, but Moyes does not. Um, if you look at those periods, we have players that are permanently injured. When you're permanently injured, blah, blah, blah. It's hard to get the physicality. You can't improve these guys. And he talks about how Robertson, Mane, Salah, Wijnaldum are all physical players, but they're also technical players. Whereas he has good players technically, but he doesn't have players with intensity and physicality. So when the game becomes intense and physical, they struggle. Is this a fair analysis? Leaving aside, okay, so it's Mourinho saying this, right? And let's leave that to one side, whether it's an excuse or not. Is this a fair assessment? Is physicality United's problem? Um, I don't think so. I think it's deeper than that. It's sort of mentality and coaching and it's everything, everything that's involved in football. Liverpool is better on every level. Regarding injured players, I mean, I don't know who he's talking about. I guess Smalling and Jones are kind of always injured, but they've been at the Rafa. club for 10 years. Um, in terms of physicality, you know, they've got physical players. They're just not playing with an intensity and unity of purpose that Liverpool are. I mean, Lukaku is a physical player, Matic is a physical player, Pogba is very physical, but it's pretty hard to be physical when you're sat on the bench. Um, Alexis Sanchez, when he's at his best and he's playing with that drive and purpose, is, is, it can be an incredibly um, intense uh, footballer. So Herrera's I kind of think he's, make, just... he's making, an, making an excuse. I mean, the only player that isn't really in that mold is, is one matter, and he was on the bench anyway. So I think United have got players... To play that, but you need to sort of buy into the manager's approach, and it's clear they're not doing that, and they, and he hasn't got a coherent one. It was in response to my question at, uh, in the press conference, I said, you know, you've talked about the the two teams playing to their characteristics and playing to the qualities they have. What are we to believe that the characteristics of this Manchester United team? I mean, I was, I was basically sort of saying <laughs> your team is a, is a shapeless, um, indefinable uh, mess. Please, please explain what it's meant to look like. Um, but. He, I mean, he talks about physicality. He has built the team based on physicality, but the kind of physicality he wants is Lukaku, big strapping centre-forward, it's Bailly, big strapping defender, it's it's Matic in the middle of the park, it's it's Pogba. He he doesn't like him as a player, clearly, but, but you know, he's another tall player who has the ability or, or the attributes that needs to be powerful, whether he wants to play that way or not. Fellaini, it, 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 he has built a team with physicality in mind but it's a completely different physicality to the kind of speed and energy that Klopp has built with and, and Guardiola has built with so you know if only there were some means of, of actually um, adding players to your, to, to your squad and, uh, and if only if only Mourinho had, had money to, to spend in the transfer market uh, rather than uh, rather than being left entirely with all the players he's inherited I, I think it's, it's bizarre what Mourinho has has done and what he hasn't done um, in his two and a half years at Old Trafford um, to be talking about those players who are all injury prone and, and uh, I mean Smalling got a new contract last week and, and it seems like contracts are renewed as a, as a matter of default um, whether players are performing well or not um, I, I just don't really get what the um, I've never understood what the strategy is beyond um, filling the team with um, big and all famous players So at what point does this become untenable then for, for Mourinho Matt? Well, they're desperately going to try and limp through to the end of the season and then, I think, take a view. And if they're not in the top four, he will go. Um, 
and then if the, if I think they'll go whatever, frankly. But if they're in the top four, then at least there's a, there's a discussion to be had. But I don't, I don't think they will be, and they're clearly drifting every week further and further behind. Not you, City, but you know. Here's the thing, place. though, right? If you, I mean, I don't know that they can wait till the end of the season to make a decision on whether to keep him. I mean, obviously, ideally, you keep him till the end of the season, but. If they're going to take a run at what they consider to be a top manager rather than just some guy who's out there and is unemployed, if they're going to go, whether it's Pochettino or or Diego Simeone or Allegri or or whoever they might want, I mean, we saw it with City's pursuit of of Pep. That takes months and months, and you have to be clever about it, and you have to be able to do it in a way that word doesn't get out and do it quietly and whatever, all these things that you're not very good at or haven't been very good at. Because if they wait until the end of May and then they're like, oh, look, we're, we're fifth. Okay, let's remove Jose. It becomes really, really difficult, doesn't it? If, if you want to go and get you know, a top manager who's, who's under contract with a different club at that stage. Sure. Well, it's impossible to get a top manager during the season. Though, no, so. I know. But you can look at what City did with, with, with Pep. If you make a decision now that Mourinho's not going to be back next season you can maybe have a prayer at quietly approaching one of these other guys. I mean, you have it's very difficult, and, you know, if it's Pochettino, there's legal implications and whatever, so you got to be very, very smart about it. But, you know, by the same token, if they were to call up Daniel Levy and say, like, hey, Daniel, if we convince Poch to come, we'll give you $50 million or whatever it is, right? Can we go and quietly talk to him without you suing us? And he says, yes, you have my permission to do so. I grant you permission. I mean, there are ways of doing it, but they kind of have to move, if not now, in, in, in January, February at the latest. And, I mean, do, do we think they're going to do that, Ollie? Is that, or are they just going to wait till the end of the season and then maybe sack Mourinho and then look for who's available? Well, if you, if you go back, what was it, what was it now, three years to when they, um, they were in the death throes of, of Van Hal, it's clear that they had, they had lined up Mourinho long before. Obviously, he was out of work. But he was a manager who signed up, even though clearly fancied the job, even though they were not going to be in the Champions League. So I don't think that needs to be seen as a, you know, a make or break issue, depending on which manager they were to go for. But I mean, surely, I mean, I've been as critical as anybody uh, of this of this Manchester United regime. But surely they recognise that at very least they need to be working on a contingency plan in case um, in case things don't pick up, and, and in case they are of the view that they. Um, need to change. Um, they left it far too late, I think, to start thinking in those terms um, with regard to Van Gaal and, and obviously Guardiola was already um, on his way to Manchester City before um, before United sort of woke up and smelled the coffee there. I think they, they, they need to be working on it now and if, and if that means word gets out and, and you know, it, it seeps out that they're talking about to, to people behind Mourinho's back, I mean, that's just, that's just the industry, that's, that's the business. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Now, earlier on Sunday, we witnessed the end of Arsenal's 22-game unbeaten run as Southampton won for the first time at St Mary's this season. Charlie Austin scoring with five minutes to go as Southampton ran out 3-2 winners for the first time under Ralph Hassenhüttl. Agab, tactically, did we see the Hassenhüttl effect? 
Yeah, I mean, and I think you you saw it in in the lineup, right? So this is a guy who made his rep with playing sort of high energy, high press. In fact, generally probably more intermittent high press than even what we saw here. And, you know, you saw that with the choices he made. You know, Redmond, Ings, and Armstrong, you've got three people who who certainly have the athleticism to go and play that way. And it created problems for Arsenal. And there's a part of me that says, okay, well, poor Arsenal. You know, they have Laurent Koscielny coming back after 10 years of injury. And then either side of him, you have to play two center backs who aren't center backs. And Steiner, who's a right back, and uh, Shaka, who's, who's a midfielder. On the other hand... Those guys are probably better on the ball than Arsenal's normal center backs. So, if anything, it shouldn't have hurt them, uh, have, have hurt them that much. Um, yeah, he injects energy and belief in it, and they got a big, big win. Well, we certainly saw plenty of emotion from the Austrian. There were wild celebrations, weren't they? He even forgot to shake Unai Emery's hand at the end as well. He organised free drinks for Southampton season ticket holders. So, Ollie, can he transform the mood at the club, do you think? Um, I hope so because I think mood is a is, is a big big factor at those clubs and at Southampton and being one of them. You know, clubs who've come up from from the Championship and sort of being riding on the crest of the wave for for a time, and there's a real feel good factor, and then that sort of slowly fades and it becomes a you know a gloomy place. And I think that that has certainly been the case over the last twelve twenty months or so. Um, and I mean, it looked it looked like scenes yesterday that I, I've certainly not seen at Southampton for, for a while. It seems, you know, it's, it's a big result over a, over a big team and obviously dramatic and, and it was a performance full of intensity. I think, I think mood is is a big issue for them. And I think if the atmosphere around the club and, and around the training grounds and around the stadium on match days is positive, I think that, that makes an enormous difference. And, and he does look like the kind of guy who, who would tap into that. Well, only Manchester City have scored more goals in the Premier League this season than Arsenal. But it is a very different story defensively for them, Matt. Yeah, they've, uh, as you say, shipped a lot of goals. Although, in fairness, they did have the first three-choice centre-halves missing yesterday. And, um, you know, Lichtensteiner, Koscielny, having come back from a long injury, and Xhaka is pretty much the uh, you know epitome of a pa- patched-up uh back free so there is excuses for it and I think still think given the players he's inherited Emery has done a remarkable job to have Arsenal in fifth and fairly close to the top four um, clearly he's going to need some better players I mean, I, mean, I think Arsenal's defensive recruitment has been very poor for a long time even Koscielny I think is a good player has still makes so many mistakes and clearly the, the injuries that he's had and his age unlikely to get back to his very very best so um, when they need to strengthen it's, it's going to be there and it'll be interesting to see if they do that next month or wait till the summer What about Bert Leno? Yeah I don't think he's good <laughs> I mean I, I don't know I, there's a certain type huge generalisation here but German football started producing a certain type of of goalkeeper, um, from Leno to, to Neuer to Ter Stegen, who interprets the position a certain way. Um, yeah, you know, obviously Ter Stegen's been fantastic this year. Neuer was very good for a long time, then he got injured. But I think you have a really hard time in England, especially because part of it is the punditocracy and the commentariat. They're not goalkeepers, most of them, right? So unless you're like David Priest or something. Uh, who was a goalkeeper and who analyzes keepers from a keeper's perspective, you're going to get a lot of people who the criticism is always the same, right? Well, oh, he's flapping his crosses. He's gone for the with the wrong hand, blah, blah, blah. And 
it can really get on you. And I think once the fans turn on you, I mean, I, I'm not a keeper. It looks to me like he totally misjudged the flight of the ball, but a goalkeeper would be a better place to do that. And once it gets on you, then your defenders start losing some confidence in you and, and it can affect you. He's only been here a while. He's got time to turn it around. Next up, though, the Gunners host Tottenham in the quarterfinal of the Carabao Cup. That's on Wednesday night. And it really is a chance for both Emery and, and Pochettino to, to take a big step towards winning their first trophy in English football, Ollie. It is, and it, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how he approaches it because, um, I mean, he's, he's been fairly unapologetic at times about sort of making clear that the, the real targets for Spurs are, are Champions League qualification and, and obviously progressing well in the Champions League and trying to compete in the Premier League and making clear that the, the, the domestic cups are, are not top priorities and, and are sort of barely secondary priorities. But I, I think having got to this situation, a quarterfinal and it's against Arsenal, I think you've got to go for it, haven't you? I mean, it, it would be, um, it, it, it's a great opportunity for for Spurs. It's, it's also a great opportunity for Arsenal as well. But it, it, I mean, I think looking at Spurs' situation, I don't think they're going to win the Premier League. I would be amazed if they, if they won the Champions League. Um, everybody recognises that, you know, whether you win the League Cup is not necessarily the best barometer of, of, of whether a manager is performing brilliantly or not. But I, I think Spurs really need a trophy in the same way that Liverpool really need a trophy. Um, so it would, be, it would be great to see them go for it on, on Wednesday. Well, it would be great to see them both going for it, hammer and tongs against each other, rather than what we've seen in the past, which is sort of two teams tiptoeing around each other with um, with shadow teams. Um, so, I, I yeah, totally disagree. I'm You're completely wrong. What I would like really? to see is Pochettino get on the phone to Unai Emery and say, hey, Unai, let's work out a deal. Let's both agree not to use our 10 most frequently used players this season. Let's give them all a rest. Let's both agree to play, you know, you without your 10 best guys, me without my 10 best guys, and then we'll get the scrubs to go at it, hammer and tongs. Because, frankly, this whole competition is an absolute nonsense. It holds us both back. This is the reality of this competition, right? If people don't take it seriously, they play their B teams, I don't know. That's what I would do, and I think it would be beneficial to clubs. But that's just me. Some people love the Carabao Cup. I know you do, Husey. So I love it, but if you've you know wasted four midweeks getting to the quarterfinals, it's a bit perverse to throw it in now, particularly in a you know derby yeah, game. Then you got a semi final against somebody good, and it's going to power you up. But yeah, but it's a derby game, so let's let's make it fair. Both sides equal, mano a mano. You go and you both rest ten guys and see what happens. No, All it's right. not happening. Just me. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The draw for the last 16 of the Champions League has been taking place while we've been recording this podcast. The first tie-out, Schalke against Manchester City. Ooh. Leroy Sane going back to Schalke. Yes, and um, yeah, I, I think this is 
a really good draw for Manchester City. Schalke are, are struggling. They're in the bottom half of the bottom half of the table. They have a very tactical manager, and the guy who's wonderful. His, his name is Tedesco. Where he's he's Italian. Uh, he's of Italian descent, but grew up in Germany. The great thing is his last name actually means German, even though the dude's actually Italian. So it works. Tedesco perfectly. means German, mm-hmm. does it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a city to watch this on paper, right? Yeah, one would think easy. Okay, so that's an easy one for City. Man United, PSG. Oh my goodness. <laughs> We've been talking about uh, Man United and uh, their uh, troubles. It's not got any easier, Ollie. No, but I, I don't think PSG would strike fear in quite the same way they did perhaps when um, Mourinho was coming up against them um, at, when he was at Chelsea a, a, a few years ago. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a, a young team now and it, it's, a, it's a rebuilding team. Obviously, they've got that fantastic flair up front with Neymar and Mbappe and Cavani and Di Maria but it, it's um, they're not an invincible team which maybe their domestic league record suggests I think we saw the, the good and bad of them in the um, in the two games against Liverpool and obviously they, they, they ended up winning that group but I think Liverpool showed in the game at Anfield that you certainly can get at them but is, is this modern United capable of that? That's the big question. Well, I would say about PSG is they, no no team in Europe's big five leagues has lost fewer games than they have all season. They've lost one game all season in all competitions. Uh, that was against Liverpool, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that took an injury time winner, even though Liverpool battered them. And that was early in the season when they still didn't have their bearings. They've been playing much better. One factor that could work to United's advantage is because of all this nonsense with the yellow jerseys and stuff like that. Um, I believe the last two weekends fixtures have been cancelled in, in France for PSG. So between that and the fact that there's idiotically two cup competitions in France, like in England, they're likely to have maybe some kind of fixture pileup, and they don't have a very big squad either. So that is something that could work in uh, United's case. But what's obvious, I think, here is that one of these two teams is going to walk away full, and the other one's going to walk away king. I mean. The stakes really high for both. Oh, you mentioned yellow jerseys there. And before we started recording this, do you remember you were telling us about your dream scenario with this round of 16? Tottenham are going to take on Borussia Dortmund. Yes. <laughs> this is what you thought would happen. Yeah. Uh, I was curious to see how Poch lines up against Lucien Favre. Lucien Favre is... In Borussia Dortmund score a ton of goals. They've, they're, they're fun to watch. They've got a great mix of, of youth and experience. They're not as cavalier as they were before, but they're still a lot of fun to watch. They play really good football, but Favre also can dial it back and get a little bit more sort of uh, conservative and traditional when he needs to. And he's up against um, Pochettino, who I think is one of the best managers in the world. So I think this is going to be a real tactical battle for connoisseurs like Husey. Indeed. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting game for uh, stadium architects if uh, (laughs) if the the Spurs ground is finally open because they've built you know the wall modeled on on dortmund so um it's not going to be a, it'll still be a win right? a letter yeah. of apology from yeah, Bob, yeah. <laughs> uh, and finally liverpool were drawn to play bayern munich what do we reckon oh. to that this is this draws really unkind to the english clubs except for city right so it seems this is this is this is pretty but you, you think this is all do you think this is brussels kind of like punishing england for brexit <laughs> some more i think um, i think england more than capable of facing itself. Um, the, um, no, I, I think if you look, if you go back to group stage draws, uh, uh, draw, I think most people are saying, well, 
Liverpool and Spurs, very tough group. Man United, fairly tough group. Man City have got um, off fairly lightly, and, and I think it's probably the same with, with this. So it's, it's, it's confusing times for those it's because UEFA love Manchester, Manchester City, right? Con- convinced that, that it doesn't matter if UEFA conspiracy against them. Liverpool, Bayern, it's a great tie. I mean, Klopp. Um, had that sort of great um, rivalry with with Bayern when he was at, um, when he was at Dortmund and beat them to a couple of titles and obviously they beat him to to, to the title and beat him beat him in the Champions League final. I mean he 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 will relish that like he relishes anything. Frankly, um, there's a there's some sort of very historic games between Liverpool and Bayern in the, in, in the European Cup 1981 semi final, which Liverpool won on away goals. Um, and it's 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 a very evocative fixture between the real heavyweights and all-time greats of of, of European football. Whether Bayern are as strong as, as they were in Klopp's final days in in, in Dortmund, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've not seen enough of them this season to to be sure. But it, it seems like there's um, they're another club going through a few changes, and, and maybe I mean. I think if you if you put Liverpool against Bayern two years ago, you'd have said, "Well, Bayern clear favourites." But um, I think many people will probably regard Liverpool's favourites this time. I have, and I can tell you that they're not as strong as they were during Klopp's mm. final years. So does that mean Liverpool, Gab, can win in Germany? Bear in mind they've had a poor away record in the Champions League of late. I mean, it's still a big ask to win in Germany, but um, and you always have to project forward and imagine what are they going to be like when they actually play these in a couple months' time. But um, there's no question that. I think Niko Kovac is having a really difficult, even though they've had slightly better results of late, they're a difficult uh, time managing some of the veterans and some of the egos on the squad. Some players have had a major dip in performance, from Boateng to Neuer to Muller, um, and the new guys, well, people like Josh Kimmich and Chagall Cantor is just back, played really well at the weekend. You know, they can't make up the difference on their own. Okay, just to, to tell you about the other ties. Uh, Juventus, one of the favourites, of course, for the Champions League. They have been drawn to play Atletico Madrid. Ooh, That's tasty. Yes. Contrast in South. Tough, tough draw. Um, Allegri against El Cholo Simeone. Um, Atletico have had a lot of injuries. They're still competing. They're still right up there. I think they're three points back in uh, in La Liga. So, yeah, not a good draw at all for, uh, for Juve. And Porto were trending on Twitter prior to the draw because they were a group winner that everybody wanted to get. And it's Roma that will face Porto. I think both teams will be happy with this draw, <laughs> to be honest. It could have gotten far worse uh, for Roma. Um, but you know, Porto leading the league again in, uh, in Portugal. Barcelona, they're going to be taking on Lyon. Matt, what do you think of that one? Uh, I think they'll be happy with that, won't they? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even their B team gave Tottenham a game last week, so um, you'd think they're of the, of the biggest um, of the, the favourites. It looks as if Barcelona and City have got the the kindest draw. Although Leon, home and away, would have knocked out City in the group stage. Just this saying, this is true. This is true. Underestimate them at your peril. This is true. And finally, Real Madrid, Ajax. Is, well, would, they, would they be happy with that? It, it, it's, a, it's another of those um, sort of great. Great matchups between two of the great, you know, great teams in European Cup history. But obviously, these days, with with, with the way the financial landscape is in European football, it's um, it's almost David and Goliath, isn't it? I, I mean, Ajax have, have done really well the last couple of years to to re-emerge and got some great young players, and maybe we'll have to fend off some interest from 
in, in a couple of those in January. But it's um, even though Real are, are a bit of a mess this season, I think Ajax would have their would have their work cut out um, there. I think come February, Champions League, um, you know, under the lights. I think that's when Real Madrid come to life, isn't it? Tell you what about Real Madrid, just very quickly, they got booed off the pitch in the last two home games, including this past weekend, a 1-0 home win over uh, Rayo Vallecano. They go to the Club World Cup in uh, in Abu Dhabi this week. Um, if, and I know people in England don't really care about this because you generally don't win the Champions League, so you're not in it, but if, if they screw this up, and obviously there's that tremendous River Plate story, um, if they somehow screw this up and don't win, I'm not sure Solari's going to be there come the round of 16. Well, it's time now for our weekly predictions game where we pick five matches from the weekend and try and predict the score. So we began with the Friday night game in the championship. Both of us predicted uh, a draw between Sheffield United and West Brom, but it was the Baggies who were 2-1 winners at Bramall Lane, so no points. Indeed. In the Premier League, I thought things might start to turn around for Claudio Ranieri at Fulham. Natalie went for the draw, but we were both wrong as West Ham made it four wins on the bounce. Now, we both went for a Liverpool win against Manchester United. I went 3-0. Natalie went 2-1. We both got the outcome correct, but really I should get points for the correct scoreline because it would have been 3-0 if not for Allison's stupid, stupid, stupid mistake. And you know who I blame? I blame Allison Rudd. I knew you were going to say that. Because she got I in his head it. by doing this whole, like, oh, look, Allison meets Allison. Let's stand back to back. <laughs> <laughs> and it obviously messed with a dude's head. And that's really not fair. So well, I should get no. point. No, you're not, because it didn't finish 3-0. Anyway, I, however, did manage to get the exact scoreline at the Amex, predicting a 2-1 win for Chelsea at Brighton, which gave me the advantage. And while Gab thought Monaco might take a point from Lyon, I predicted more hard times for Thierry Henry and another Lyon victory, which came to pass. So what does that mean, Gab? It means you're extremely lucky because of the stupid <laughs> Allison nonsense that um, that you extend your lead and you're 10-5 up this season. Which is just making it interesting. Don't worry. I'll roar back. <laughs> but enough of this. How about some quick hits? For all of Manchester City's brilliance this season, Gabriel Jesus was sounding something of a sour note deputizing for the injured Sergio Aguero. But Ollie, he was magnificent in City's 3-1 win over Everton. Paul Hurst tells us it's a function of the fact that family and friends have joined him in the Northwest. Is the real Jesus back amongst us? Uh, it's. Um, I mean, I, I, think, I think we. I think we can um, sometimes underestimate just how important those issues are for, for a, a young footballer, you know, thousands of miles from home. Um, we've seen a lot of players, South American players, struggle with, without their families around them, and um, it, it certainly makes sense if you look at his sort of malaise over the first few months of the season. It certainly makes sense that. That that would be the reason, and, and that having his having his nearest and dearest um, around him would would um, would, would perk him up. He looked he look back to his old self on Saturday. Burnley may not be doing as well as last year, but Matt, they hung on for a long time against uh, Tottenham at Wembley at the weekend before falling to a Christian Eriksen strike. Does this say more about Spurs or about Sean Dyche? Bit of both, as ever. Um, Tottenham clearly not at their best. We were discussing how hard it is to back up after a big game like they had against Barcelona in the week and I think it's even harder when it's a game you're sort of expected to win at home um, so they were probably never going to be at their best and they did well to grind out the win in the end. Natalie, one for you and this is actually one of those rare championship questions where um, 
I sort of have an inkling of what you might say. Okay. How's Steve McLaren getting on these days? <laughs> Not bad, actually. Uh, after being sacked three times since 2015, twice by Derby and once by Newcastle, it's fair to say the former England manager wasn't exactly welcomed by the Queen's Park Rangers fans uh, when he was appointed manager in the summer. The season began with four straight league defeats, including a 7-1 thrashing at West Brom, which heaped the pressure on McLaren, as you can expect. But... The club kept faith with him and then since then he has steered Rangers well clear of trouble with nine wins in the last 17 league games and they continued that fine run with a win against his former club Middlesbrough on Saturday. He's no longer hanging out with that guy, the psychologist, is he? Oh, I don't know. What was his name? Bill Bezik. Bezik, yeah. Does he, he doesn't show up at Loftus sure. Road, does he? I don't I know. I haven't heard of him for, for a long time. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, if you're out there, get in touch. <laughs> Chris Hutton is unhappy that Marcos Alonso wasn't sent off. But in the meantime, Chelsea won at Brighton 2-1 as Maurizio Sarri plays the diminutive Hazard, William and Pedro up front. Uh, Oli, could he be about to ditch Giroud and Morata entirely and, and play without a big man up top? Well, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be the biggest surprise. I mean, it, was, it seemed like there was a slight horses for courses element to that selection, but, but he doesn't... I mean, he doesn't seem to have great faith in Morata. He also doesn't have great faith in, in, in Giroud. I mean, he's, Giroud has done a decent job on occasions, but yeah, I think he, I think it looks like this this might be his, his favourite option going forward, particularly for you know, those away games where it's more about counter-attack. So, um, interesting times. Oh, that was in the time, that. I know, he's, he's getting better. First time ever. First time ever. <laughs> Huddersfield put in quite a performance, but Salomon Rondon's goal eventually gives uh, Newcastle a huge away win. Hughie, we don't often get to talk about Huddersfield, um, basically because you're the only Huddersfield expert we have. So take it away. Please tell me there's hope after Moy. <sighs> Not a lot, really. I mean, if you can't score goals, you're going to struggle to win. Football will be back, right? He will, but he's not very good either. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, we could do it with a false nine like Eden Hazard, really, then, we, then we'd be fine. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've got 11 false nines. Come on now, there's negativity. That's no, fine. They're doing you, like the, they're doing their, you were telling me before, right? They're doing their best and working hard, and they've got a chance, but ultimately, they keep playing while they're losing. You ain't going to stay up. Okay, Gab, one for you. Uh, a certain Messi finished fifth in the Ballon d'Or voting. Does this mean he's having another mediocre season? Yeah, 19 games, 19 goals, 12 assists. He's hit the woodwork 11 times this season, which I found to be kind of the most absurd stat of all. Barcelona, who I thought were getting results without being great earlier, are are now nicely hitting their their, their stride. They destroyed Levante 5-0 at the weekend. Yeah, it's all, it's all clicking for him. And um, the one thing... And if you guys get a chance to watch Barcelona um, on 11 Sports or some other dubious stream, um, <laughs> take the chance while you can. <laughs> um, look out for this because he's a lot more minimalist in the way he plays. Like He actually kind of totally disengages when the action's somewhere else. It's almost like he saves himself for, for these. He almost like plays like in, in quick bursts. Um, and it's interesting. It's I think it's a way for him to manage his body as he gets older. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Matt Hughes and Ollie Kay. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. Just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Thursday after Carabao Cup action, including another North London derby.
The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 